we are in this series talking about love without walls. How we, as regular people, and last week we talked about as humble servants, in fact, how we change the world. Now, the, the, you know, there's different thoughts, different conceptions about world change, and it could even be considered trendy as you look at the political arena and other ways that people talk about changing the world. We're going to talk about it in an unusual way today, something that you might be surprised by. And some of you are going to wrestle with that. Some of you are going to think, oh, that's the way you're, you know, what you're going about here, the way you're saying you're going to change the world is just too simplistic. The, the things, the things in, in this world, the obstacles, the barriers, the forces, they're just too complex and too big. This is a, you know, your approach is too simplistic. Others of you men are going to say, this is too weak. This is too soft. We need force. We need power. We need strength and things like that. But just, just listen. Just wait. Just put, let your mind be open to what God would say to you this morning about you and we together actually having an impact for good on this world. As you can see, this world is different. Our community is different. And beyond our community, all around the world is different because of these last 25 years of Mariner's Church being in existence and intentionally reaching out to the world. Before I talk more about that, I want to tell you this. I went through a quarter-life crisis about seven years ago. And in this quarter-life crisis, I struggled. I struggled with my confidence, with my security, with, I, I lost a lot of stuff. I didn't know what I was going to do with my life. And I remember being in that time and it being very difficult, very hard. I remember losing friends, feeling like some friends had abandoned me. I remember losing a lot. And I also remember in that time, Several friends who stuck with me, they will be friends for life. One in particular was this guy named Leon. And Leon was, you know, he, he was in a different space. He was, he was in La Jolla. Leon was the president of a hedge fund. Leon oversaw tens of millions of dollars of people's money. But he knew that I was in a difficult place, and so he invited me to this retreat, this, this conference up in Tacoma, Washington. Now, I had heard about this conference in Tacoma, Washington, a year before, and then I thought it was lame. I was like, I don't need to go, A, to Tacoma for any reason, uh, B, to this prayer conference. Please, come on, I know how to pray. But it's something funny about, like, when you're in a desperate situation, you'll do just about anything. And so I was like, okay, let's go. I'll go, you know. So he took me up to this conference, and we were both blown away. Now, I was in this broken state. He was this, he was this guy who had the world at his fingertips, and I remember what it was like to have him come alongside me in that season, and I thought to myself, I will not forget this. And when I am in a different place, and so I see someone else who is hurting, I will come alongside them and be with them in the midst of their pain. Similarly, I had roommates at a time in my life when I was a single guy, and there was this brief season when my roommates were particularly difficult. And I, there were two or three guys. One of them, anytime I would come home, and I avoided the house, anytime I would come home, the moment I would walk in, I would go straight into my room, I would close the door, and then I would sit there and I would kind of count. One, two. And within 30 seconds, one of my roommates would be at my door. Knock, 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 knock. Caleb, you in there? You know I'm in here. And then he would just be waiting for me. And I would open up the door and he would say, um, for instance, you want to go watch MacGyver? Uh, 
MacGyver, so you guys, high school guys don't know MacGyver, you know MacGruber, but there is a MacGyver that was dominated the 80s. And MacGyver was a great show, but when he would watch it, he would watch it in 1.5 speed, just so he could crank through a whole season, like in one sitting. And so it would drive me nuts. And, and this guy, he, I don't know, I don't get it. It's, it's technology, right? I don't know. You go 1.5, he speeds it up. You can still hear everything they're saying. And he would just sit there for hours on end and watch MacGyver. And I thought, one day, <laughs> when I get out of this house and I have a wife and I have my own house and I have my own space, I will remember what it was like to be a single adult with roommates that you weren't so sure about and I will have compassion for my single friends who are in that place. And then there was this one other time where I went to Rwanda. And I was in Rwanda and I was being shown kind of the, the devastation because of the genocide there. And so many people, when neighbors just turned on neighbors and, uh, you know, the hundreds of thousands of people that were executed. And I saw a village, like an entire village of orphans. We're talking like 300 orphans that all live together and then teachers would drive into this village during the week and they would they would do class they would have school for these kids and I walked into one of the classrooms and they had two books for about 40 kids and I thought to myself I need to remember that if God ever allows me to be in a position where I'm writing books or where I have the means I am going to supply classrooms like this with books and I, I wrote that kind of stuff in my journal because we have a propensity to forget. We have a tendency to, when we get out of this place, whether it's emotional, physical, financial, or whatever kind of desperation that you might find yourself in or you may have found yourself in, when we, when we can finally get out of that place, our tendency is just to embrace this new normal and to distance ourselves from that pain and that that MacGyver-watching roommate as quickly as possible and move on with our life. Our tendency is to forget where we have come from. And the first thing we need to do this morning as we talk about changing the world is remember who we are, where we come from, and what God has brought us through. We are going to look at Deuteronomy chapter 24. This is Moses. He is... He has just led the people of Israel out of years of slavery and bondage. They were in Egypt, and now they're roaming around in the desert, preparing to go into the promised land. This land that has been promised for generations, a land flowing with milk and honey. They have heard about it. They are not yet there, but they are not where they were. They are not yet in the promised land, but they are not back in slavery and bondage. And so... Moses prepares them for their future life in the promised land in an interesting way. Verse 19 says, When you are harvesting in your field, this is Moses telling the people, and you overlook a sheaf, do not go back and get it. Leave it for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow, so that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands. Now, the, the people listening at that point would have been thinking two things. One, uh, we haven't had ever our own land, so this I don't really get this. Two, 
When we get to this promised land, if I work hard for it, if I have my own space, if I have my own territory, if I have all my own, you know, my flocks and animals and, and farm and whatever else, that will be what I have worked hard for. Why would I not take everything up, use it for my family, sell it in the marketplace? Why would I leave some stuff behind? It would have been a little bit perplexing for these people. That's not fair. These people who haven't worked for it, I've worked for it. I bust. You know, I do my thing. Why would I leave this stuff behind for someone else who doesn't deserve it? And he goes further. He says in verse 20, when you beat the olives from your tree, do not go over the branches a second time. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, the widow. Or when you harvest the grapes in your vineyard, do not go over the vines again. Leave what remains for the foreigner, the fatherless, and the widow. Do you see a pattern here? And then in verse 22, get this. Remember that you were slaves in Egypt. That is why I command you to do this. Why did they leave behind? Why was that the standard that God set for them? Because we have a tendency to forget where we come from. We have a tendency to forget all that God has done for us. Maybe you never had financial need. Maybe you've always had it together. But you were desperate in some area, and God has met you. And our tendency is to get to the next place and be like, glad that's over. Let's, let's take the next hill. And we forget and in our forgetting, we neglect the people that are still hurting, that are still starving, that are going through the divorce, that are an orphan, that just lost a loved one. We forget that pain and we move on with our comfortable lives. And that's why God tells them through Moses, don't forget. Remember who you are and take care of these less fortunate. Take care of the orphan, the widow, the foreigner. Do you want to change the world? Because it begins with being a humble servant. It begins with remembering who you are and what, how, how good God has been to you. And then, it be, and then from there, we become people of compassion. We are compassionate people, grateful for where God has brought us. Compassion, moved by that compassion, remembering who we are and how good God has, has been. And then we turn and bless those around us. What is compassion? We look no further than the person of Jesus. Jesus came. He is the ultimate compassionate one. He came and people expected him to overthrow the Roman government, to take by force freedom from the Israelites, and he did the opposite. He came humble. He came compassionate. Look at what this says in Mark 1, verse 40. A man with leprosy came to him and begged him on his knees, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Okay, so in that day, little boys and girls, they were at school or they were being brought up in the home, and there was this disease that was feared beyond anything else. It was, this, it was what was rumored about. It was those people that we don't speak of that live out in the wilderness, right? It was, it was the thing that you avoided at all costs, and little boys and girls would whisper about it. You know what it was? Cooties. 
No, it was, it was leprosy. It was leprosy. It was, it was the, this disease that attacked your nerve endings so that you couldn't feel. You couldn't feel the, the ends of your body. It started with the extremities. It still exists today, by the way. It would deaden your nerves to the point where your fingers, your toes, your nose, different things, your ears would, ha- would have no sense to them whatsoever. You couldn't feel a thing. You c- they could be on fire and you wouldn't know. And they would start to deaden and they, you could walk around. What, what would happen to people is they would bandage themselves together because if they didn't, they would walk around. They would get their finger or limb stuck in places and they would just break off because they couldn't, they couldn't feel pain, they, and, and as they grew dead, they grew weak. It was a nasty deal, but here's the, here's the other strange thing about it. They were isolated in that community. They were sent out. They couldn't live in the villages. They couldn't live among people, even though people in that day already knew that it wasn't contagious. This wasn't a contagion issue. This was a spiritual issue. The leaders in that day believed that if you had leprosy, you brought it on yourself. That God was punishing you for something. That it was your fault or your family's fault. And so that's why they exiled them. That's why they sent them away. Because you are unclean if you had leprosy. You had to go outside and you had no contact with the rest of the world because You must have done something terrible because God is punishing you. That was their mentality. And that is the situation that Jesus entered into. And so he saw that, and this man approaches him with leprosy. And he says, if you are willing, I know that you can make me clean. And the Bible says that Jesus was indignant, which could also be translated, he was moved by compassion. I think they use the word indignant because they're trying to communicate that he was so emotional about it. He hated to see that injustice. He hated to see this this person, these people ostracized because they were termed unclean because people thought they they deserved this and God was punishing them and there was this there was a spiritual dismissal and Jesus says that is not the way things are. Jesus was indignant about this injustice. He was moved emotionally, with compassion, and so he acted. He said, I am willing. Be clean. He says he reached out his hand and touched the man, and immediately the leprosy left him. Compassion is love in action. It is not enough. Compassion doesn't stop at empathy. Empathy is feeling sorry. Compassion moves beyond empathy and into action. Jesus reaches out and touches this guy that nobody would touch. He hadn't been physically touched in who knows how long. But Jesus broke that barrier, this cultural barrier that says there are those who are privileged, who are clean, who are normal, who are acceptable, and there are those who are outsiders, outcasts, diseased, unclean. And Jesus turned that upside down in his compassion. He moved beyond those layers, those barriers, what people expected in culture, and he reached out and touched the hurting, outcast, unclean man. That is the way of Jesus. That is the way of God. Do you believe that we can change the world? If so, I hope that you are not putting your hope in political figures or in military supremacy, or in technological advancements. Those things make a mark, but they will not bring about the story that God is telling. They will not change the soul like God's spirit is is desiring to do in you and through you. 
The world system is all about power and dominance and force and climbing the ladder and getting beyond and getting to the next and leveraging your power and position. And Jesus came and he did this entire upside down thing. He came humble and he came compassionate and he touched the furthest out and he amazed people with his love and his kindness. According to Jesus, it's hope that overcomes desperation. It's light that overcomes the darkness. It's generosity that overcomes greed. It's love that overwhelms hate. And it's compassion that changes the world. Compassion that comes as a humble servant. Compassion that moves us into action. Compassion that recalls that it's God who has saved us. It's God who has brought us out of hard times. It's God who has given us every good gift. It's compassion that changes the world. It's compassion that reaches out to the marginalized, the forgotten, the unnoticed, the overlooked, the untouchable, the diseased, the divorced, the betrayed, the broken, the destitute, the bankrupt, the guilty, the imprisoned. It's compassion that reaches out and says, there is not clean and unclean. God loves you. It's that kind of compassion that will and is changing this world. We will be a community of humble servants, moved by compassion, changing Huntington Beach, Fountain Valley, Westminster, Seal Beach, the surrounding areas, and then going out into the other parts of the world. And Chris is going to come back up and share more about what that is looking like in our community. Thanks, Caleb. Um, you know, I'm excited to be able to share uh, with you guys some stories. And uh, there was a few years ago, I had an opportunity to go to Hong Kong and uh, went with a team of about 14 or 15 people. We were on a missions trip. We had a day off. Uh, we were just exploring the city, and it was incredible. Um, and uh, so we were just walking down the streets in Hong Kong, and I was kind of pulling up the, the tail end of the group. Um, and uh, so we're walking by just like any, any street, any city, Huntington Beach, Hong Kong, New York, L.A., wherever it is, it's the same. You see out of the corner of your eye somebody sitting on the ground, leaning up against a building. They have a coat on, what looks like gloves. They've got a, a cup or a bowl out, um, and there's somebody begging for money. And, uh, you know, I was just like, oh, in my mind, I, it's terrible. I, I chuckled and thought they have people like this here too, you know. And uh, as, as I kind of thought that, and this probably all happens in just a flash of a second, but as I thought that, I made eye contact with this man, and I saw his face, and what I could literally only describe to you as him, he was a leper, and, uh, and it startled me, and I stopped. Uh, I stopped walking, and I, I kind of stared. Um, and, uh, you know, Caleb described what leprosy is, and it was just, you know, his face, you could see the dead skin. Um, and it was, uh, it was just it was hard to look at. 
And I looked again at his hands, and I thought he had gloves on, and it was actually just pieces of cloth that he had wrapped around his fingers and around his hands. And, um, and in that moment, I felt God tell me to lay my hands on him and pray for healing for him. And I, I come from a background that was very charismatic, and I've seen a lot of people, what I would say, abuse this. I've heard God's voice type thing, and I'm so hesitant to use those words. But I felt it so clearly, and I had the distinct belief that if I did it, that he would be healed. But in that second, in that flash, when you feel like you hear God's voice, there's other voices that you hear. And my first, my first response was, I can't touch this guy. He's a leper. I didn't know as much as the people in Jesus' day. I thought I could get it. It's like, God, I can't touch him. I feel like God tells me to pray for a man, lay my hands on him, that he'd be healed. And my response is, but I'll get sick which is ridiculous. And right after that, I realized that the group of 14 people I was with was almost two blocks away. In the middle of Hong Kong, I have no idea where I am, and I cannot speak the language. Am I going to get left behind and separated? And then um, maybe the worst thought that jumped into my mind was, is this does, does this person really have leprosy? Is, this, is he faking it? Is this a way to get more money? Which is probably not the first time that we've had a thought about somebody like that, asking for money. And uh, in that moment, that seemed like an eternity, and I had these battles, in that moment, the barriers, the fears... The lies were too great, and I ended up walking away. And I totally missed it. And to this day, I cannot get that image out of my mind. I could close my eyes and be back there right now. I could be back there. I could see the man. I could see his face and the people walking by, and I could feel the same thing that I felt in that moment. And I missed it. I missed the opportunity because we believe that the power that rose Christ from the dead is in us and that God's light is in us. And I missed an opportunity to bring God's light and God's kingdom here on that street. And I promised myself I wouldn't miss it again. And um, I'm so thankful that over the last few months that I've been able to be here at Mariner's Church and at Huntington Beach, Um, that there's some incredible people here that have made that same promise, that they're not going to miss it, that they will be willing to love compassionately, to to be love in action. And uh, one of those people is Casey, and a lot of you guys may know Casey. She's an incredible person, and uh, her and her family are super plugged in here. And uh, a few months ago, we announced that we were going to be starting a uh, lighthouse community center here in Huntington Beach, which is really exciting. And, uh, and she said, you know what? I want to be a part of it. And Casey is born and raised in Huntington Beach. I mean, she bleeds Huntington Beach. And so for her, she said that a way, that, you know, if she could give back to this community, to people in need here, that she wanted to be a part of it. And then she found out that it was at the Pacific Court Apartments. And the first time she walked in, she realized that she had friends that lived there when she was growing up. And she used to go and visit. And she knew the, uh, the situation um, that a lot of these families lived in. Uh, but one of the things that was really challenging is that um, she feels very nervous and uncomfortable in conversations with people that she doesn't know. 
um, and, uh, and insecure in that way. And then if you add in the aspect that there's probably going to be a language barrier with a lot of these people also. And so, but she pushed through that and she's been incredible. And right now we're in the process of planning uh, a fall festival for the people at this uh, apartment complex. And we're so excited about it. And Casey is leading up a team of community members that are going to oversee the craft area, and, uh, which is just awesome. We had a meeting Thursday night. And um, I'm not replying to a text. I have an email here I want to share. She sent me an email Thursday night after our meeting. Um, one, of the, the, one of the people on our team is a lady named Siobhan. And, um, and if you go through the experience, uh, you'll see a picture of her. And uh, Siobhan has two kids. And she lives in this low, uh, low-income housing complex. And uh, she lost her job two weeks ago. And she's on this team. And one of the things we do is we don't want to just give, give, give. We want to partner with. We don't want to treat the poor poorly. We believe that they all have something to give. And so Siobhan's on Casey's team. And so Casey sent me this email and said, I met with Siobhan and Sandra to discuss crafts. And when it came to the budget, uh, we let them know that anything they would like to contribute would be great, but that if they couldn't, it was totally understandable. I knew that Siobhan had lost her job a couple weeks ago, but she sp- immediately said that she could get the apples because she has food stamps, and she can use those to get the apples. And we told her she didn't need to, but she insisted. And I knew in that minute, in that moment, what Lori wrote about in her book which is what we're talking about these few weeks, love without walls, is that people in this situation don't want to be a charity case, but they want to be involved in what we're doing, which is just an incredible story, but it doesn't stop there because literally about an hour after their meeting ended, Casey got a text from Siobhan with a picture of a bag of apples and talking about how the great deal that she got on these apples She loaded up her two kids. I saw her before I left. I was like, oh, she must have somewhere to go. She loaded up her kids in her car, and she went right then and bought apples. And this breaks my heart because I grew up in a family, and there was times when we had to use food stamps. And when you don't have money for food, you're not worried about a fall festival for people that live around you. You're worried about feeding your kids. And I know what that takes to take food stamps and say, I'm going to buy apples so we can have a community event is the power of one person overcoming their fear of starting a conversation with people that they don't know. And you see it just ripple forward. You see it move forward. And there's so much more to do. Uh, it doesn't just stop at Pacific Courts. It doesn't stop in Orange County. It's nationwide. It's globally. There's so much to do. Uh, I don't know if you guys know this. There's about 127,000 kids in America's child welfare system. So kids in orphanages, in homes that are not adopted, which is a large number. But if every church in America encouraged and supported one family from their congregation to adopt a child, that we would close that system down. There would be no more need for that. Every single kid would have a home. In California, I heard this last week and it blew my mind. The way that they project how many prison cells they're going to need in the future. 
is by keeping track of how many students enter high school reading below grade average. That's how they project how many prison cells and beds they're going to need. And Orange County is the second highest rate of homelessness per capita in all of America. You don't see that picture on the TV shows. We don't think that when we're driving down the street. Second highest rate in all of America. And it's big. I know it's big, but it's manageable. If one family from each church, if we could just come alongside and tutor kids, teach them how to read, it's manageable. The power of one. I didn't do this for the first service, and um, I don't know if it's going to work, but I'm going to need some audience participation. Uh, can, you guys, can you guys do this, everybody? It feels a little bit weird. I see you looking around to see if everybody else is doing it or if you're the only one that fell for this joke. It feels a little bit awkward to be doing this. It doesn't make a lot of sense. And it's what compassion looks like the first time you step out. It feels a little bit weird. You look around, you wonder what other people are thinking. But the beautiful thing about compassion is it motivates and it draws people in. And so pretty soon there's two people. You go to two fingers. And it continues to move forward. And you see people in your community that you don't even know that are starting to do the same thing. Three people start tutoring. Three people start teaching kids how to read. Three people, four people, it starts growing. Five people. All of a sudden, you have this roaring wave of people that are showing compassion. What is it? What is it that we are indignant about? What is it that offends you to the point of action? What is it that you step back and say, that is not right? I can teach a kid to read. I can be a part of that. What is it that pushes you to that point where you decide that it's not enough to love and pray for people at a distance in passing, but you engage them, you move into their life, into their story? Because Jesus is showing up all around us. Matthew 25, he said, whatever you do to the least of these, you do to me. And I walked right by him on the street in Hong Kong. And I know that those of us in this room, we walk by him. Sometimes we realize it and sometimes we don't. So we're each at a place and we've been praying and working for months towards this end. And I really firmly believe that for us here at this campus in Huntington Beach, that God is asking us, are we going to be humble servants, armed with power and status? That doesn't make sense. Are we going to be humble servants, armed with money or good intentions? Or are we going to be humble servants that, that love from a distant place, and, and do something when they feel it kind of bubble up inside of them, I'll, I'll give money to that. It's Christmas time. Or are we going to be humble servants that go outside of this place, and we love Huntington Beach and West, Westminster and the surrounding cities and county and world? Are we going to be humble servants that love with compassion, with compassionate love in action, 
That's the question I really believe that God is asking us. And I missed it before. And I don't want to miss it. And there's people here that don't want to miss it. And I don't want for any of us to miss it. Okay, so we're going to keep going like this. The band's going to come up, and they're going to lead us in some more music. Uh, but we said at the beginning that, you know, every, every week there's always those boxes at the door. Part of who we are is this: we believe that God has been so generous with us that we give back to him. So the envelopes in your bulletins, that's the typical deal that we do. If you're here for the first time, you know, don't feel obligated. This is, this is what we do as a family. But... Now we're going to take another offering. We're going to pass plates. We only do this two times a year. We're going to pass plates, and every cent that goes into these plates, you can just write a check, put cash in, however it works. Every cent that goes into these plates right now goes to outreach work in this community. Chris, can you tell us a little bit about what exactly that might look like? Yeah. um, There's two areas kind of locally and globally that we're looking at right now. One of them is a partnership in uh, Mexico with Pastor Daniel uh, who is planting churches that disciple people to change the world. Um, and uh, he's an incredible man and feels like God given him this passion to plant 50 churches before he dies. Um, and he's at like 17 or 18 now. And uh, so globally, that's one of the big things that we're looking at. And locally, we really believe that poverty isn't a financial thing, that the biblical definition of poverty, if you look in the scriptures, that is so much more than that. It's a brokenness of shalom, which is a, a, a Bible word, of peace, of relationship between us and God and with us and each other. We believe that poverty is so much more. And so we think that it is possible for us as a church and a community and to partner with other churches and to look at what it would look like to end poverty in Huntington Beach. And uh, so one of the ways that we're going to be doing that is through this Pacific Court Community Center. And what if we teach the 50 kids that live there how to read? And they all enter high school reading. What does that look like? And so you can give in the baskets that pass uh, today. You can give continually. Uh, One of the things that I love about this campus, and I don't know if you know this, but this is the most generous campus out of the three Mariners Church campuses. You are the most generous And so you can give today or you can give throughout the year, whatever that would look like. And every cent of what you give to outreach goes to serving locally and globally. Yeah, Yeah. and uh, and just to be clear, God has all the money in the world. What he wants is our hearts. And our hearts, you know, our treasure often represents the things that we're passionate about. So we give it away and just say, God, use this. But there is also a role for you to play, whether it's tutoring, whether it's taking a trip. We have partners in Haiti, in Mexico, in Africa. You'll hear more and more about that kind of stuff. Let's just pray now that God would use our gifts for the good of those who need it. God, we are so grateful. We are so grateful that you have been so generous to us, that you provide for us. And it's out of that provision that we want to be generous people and give to those. We remember whether we've been in emotional or spiritual, financial, relational need. We, we know what that's like, and we remember, and we give to those who are in need today. Take these offerings and multiply them in the lives of real people here in this community at Pacific Courts, around the world for your good, for your glory, that many would come to know you, that many would have hope as a result of our lives and our generosity. In Jesus' name.